This morning, we're coming to 15 commands found in Romans chapter 12. You may recall or find out that we're going verse by verse through the epistle to the Romans, a great book of teaching, important teaching about salvation and Christian living. This morning, we come to Romans 12, 9 to 16, which, as I said, give us 15 commands. I am going to move through them rapidly, so fasten your seatbelts. If we will obey these commands, we will do our part in overcoming evil with good. And so I'm going to read the verses first. You look for the commands as I do, and then we'll circle back and explain them. I'm reading Romans 12, beginning at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. To start off, I want to give you a word picture. I want you to picture someone in Florida in a zoo feeding alligators. I want you to imagine that this feeder of alligators has one arm. (laughs) Do you know why he has one arm? Because... He may have been watching the alligator, but he wasn't as mindful as he should have been that the alligator was watching him. In Bahamaland, all around this building, all around where you live and go to school, are Bahamians who reject, for whatever reasons, faith, who seek to live as the boss of their own lives, and if the truth be told, whether they say it out loud or they don't, some have even an animosity toward believers, a prejudged negative judgment of the church. If we want to change their opinion about this church and the church, we need to obey these 15 commands to the very best of our abilities. And so let me summarize very quickly the 15 commands. One, have sincere love. Two, hate evil. Three, cling to what is good. Four, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Five, honor one another above ourselves. Six, serve the Lord with constant zeal and spiritual fervor. Seven, be joyful in hope. Eight, be patient in affliction. Nine, be faithful in prayer. Ten, share with God's people who are in need. Eleven, love strangers. Twelve, bless and do not curse those who persecute you. 13, resonate with people. 14, live in harmony with one another. And 15, do not be proud. See yourself above anyone or be conceited. So let's unpack these very quickly. The first is have sincere love, or the slide will say, love without hypocrisy. I see that in the first part of verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Sincere. In Latin, 
sincere means sincere. Sere as wax, sin is without. They sold pottery when the New Testament was being uh, written, and there were certain unscrupulous pottery vendors who would take a piece of pottery that had a hairline crack in it, and they would fill that crack with wax, the color of the vase or the bowl, and they would sell it as being a first when it was a second. And the way that people determined whether the product, the pottery product they were buying was legitimately a first quality was they held it up to the sun. And if the sun melted the wax in the crack, they were aware of the quality of the pottery. People are looking at the sincerity of our love. They're wanting to see if it's without wax. And they're holding us up, not to the S-U-N, but to the standard of the S-O-N. And so the first command for us is to love without hypocrisy. Be real. Second command, still in verse 9, second part, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil or abhor what is evil. The Greek word translated abhor or hate in our English Bibles means to shrink back from. I must admit to you, I'm a scaredy cat about snakes. I hate snakes. Always have and always will. If I'm mowing the grass and there's a snake, I jump back like I'm a coward because I am a coward about snakes. People say, Rob, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a garter snake. It can't hurt you. I don't care. It's ugly to me. It startles me. It's, I want to shrink back. God says that's how we should view all evil. The porn that's on our computers. The cheating that's at our classrooms. The disrespect of the law and of human life. These are evils that we should shrink back from like I do a snake. We should hate evil. We should shrink back from evil. The third command, still in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. It's not just enough, friends, to shrink back from what is evil. We must cling to something that is not evil, to something that is good. There was a young family who went to an IMAX theater, you know, those humongous movie screens with the high-quality sound. And the family didn't approve of rock and roll music that promoted an evil and a wicked lifestyle by the artists who sang and by the persons who purchased the music. They didn't stand for that. And they had a little daughter with them. And in the IMAX theater, before the actual movie started, there was a loud uh, commercial, a tag for um, a movie, another movie, and the band that was promoting that movie was known for its immoral lifestyle, and the music was so loud. And after the movie ended, the little girl, the daddy said, were you all right? Uh, Before the movie started, that was That was just awful. She goes, as soon as it started, Daddy, I just started singing Jesus loves me to myself. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. When we do that, we'll be on our way to overcoming evil with good.
But there's more. The fourth command, this part is in the first part of verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We are devoted to one another in the assembly and the church when we have family affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's like my dog, my dog, Yankee, 65-pound, standard, purebred, standard poodle, smarter than me, knows what day of the week it is. He looked at me this morning and just, (laughs) you're going again, aren't you, man? When I come home, having had a bad day, having had an excellent day, Yankee is the same. He just looks up at me with his brown eyes and he wags his tail. Affection, the affection that a dog has for its master. We are to have affection for one another. We are to love one another. And what kind of love is it? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The Greek word is phileo, which is brotherly love. It means friendship love. It means you watch my kids for a weekend while we go away, and we'll watch your kids for a weekend when you want to go away. It means when you turn to your spouse and say, you scratch my back for five minutes, and then I'll scratch your back for five minutes. It's brotherly love. And God wants us to have brotherly love for each other. Affection. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So you know what that means? If somebody comes up to you and starts criticizing a member of this local church, shut it down. If somebody comes to you gossiping, talking to you although you are not part of the problem nor part of the solution about someone else, that's gossip, shut it down. Don't enter in. We are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Fifth command, still in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Watch it. Give preference to one another in honor. Honor one another more than you honor yourself. That's a tough one. That's counterintuitive. For us to honor another person above honoring ourself. Dr. John MacArthur expands on this to say, this is showing genuine appreciation and admiration for fellow believers by putting them first. Honor one another above ourselves. How would this look? What would it look like for you to honor other people over yourself? Well, it could look like leaving the church kitchen or the washroom or the youth room or the wana room or the choir room or even your pew in a service tidy not assuming the next guy will clean up after you. It could look like not letting your young children run free on the campus of the church where there are elderly people or people otherwise unstable in walking. How would honoring one another above ourselves look? It could like when you sign out church equipment to borrow it, you are prompt in returning it to where you got it for the next person, putting them first. How would putting someone else first? How about being on time for worship services? I know extenuating circumstances can make that difficult, especially 8 o'clock in the morning. 
But when you come in late, you're not putting other worshipers first. You're distracting them when you take your pew, even if you're not trying to. What would honoring people first, putting them ahead of you, look like? If you're still living at home with your parents, the next church meal, you stay with your parents and you don't forge ahead and get into that buffet line ahead of others. See the point? Or at the 8 a.m. service, it's not as big a deal maybe, but how about parking further away from the church building intentionally so you can leave parking spaces to the people who come after you? We are to honor one another above ourselves. Sixth command, serve the Lord with constant zeal and spiritual fervor, or as the screen says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know, there's something really unappealing about a born-again Christian who has grown slack, slothful, lazy, indifferent about walking closely behind Jesus and being transformed. It's not attractive. The lukewarm Christian, the Christian who is either hot nor cold, but lukewarm, is like lukewarm water when you're working outside in the Bahamian heat. It's You want it cold, or if you're making coffee, you want it hot. Lukewarm isn't much use. And so the command is serve the Lord with constant zeal and with spiritual fervor. We need a whole lot more boiling Christians in Nassau than we need lukewarm nominal Christians. Seventh command, are you tracking with me? We're halfway through the commands. Verse 12, part A, rejoicing in hope. Be joyful in hope. Be not limited by your circumstances. By the way, when I ask somebody how they are and they say pretty good under the circumstances, I smile and say, what are you doing under them? Rise above your circumstances with Jesus. Be joyful in hope. You know, formerly, before you were saved, you had a hopeless end. But now, since you've become a Christian, you have an endless hope. Be joyful in hope. Command 8, second part of verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, being patient in affliction. To be patient is to show perseverance and endurance. And endurance is best showcased in difficulties. Your endurance, your perseverance, your patience in difficult circumstances is best shown off when you are pressured. That's how we get pearls, right? Grain of sand gets into a clam, secretes. Things around that grain which build up, which build up to make beautiful, expensive, costly pearls. Some people have said that Christians are like tea bags. <laughs> We're not much good until we find ourselves in boiling water. Affliction can be our friend. Troubles can be 
welcomed. Pressure can be seen as being okay for believers in Jesus Christ because we are believers in Jesus Christ. You know it is pressure that gets, gets us grape juice out of grapes. If we truly desire to be more like Jesus, then we should welcome affliction. We should be patient in problems. The ninth command, still in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, devoted to prayer. You know, let me ask you a little survey. Slip your hand up, and you look around the sanctuary as people do. Please put your hand up. How many of you have been praying for a matter for six months? Some. How many of you have been praying for a matter for one year? Some. How many of you have been praying for a matter for five years? Some. Ten years? Mm -hmm. Fifteen years? Twenty years? Twenty-five years? Thirty years? Forty? Fifty? Sixty? George Mueller paid, prayed for the salvation of five of his friends for 60 years. He was devoted in prayer for his friends that did not know Christ. Four of them trusted Jesus for salvation before Mueller died, and the fifth became a Christian at Mueller's funeral. You know, the reason we're commanded to be devoted in prayer, because let's be honest, prayer is something we easily quit at. I find it easy to quit at praying, to be honest with you. But I'm told, and you're told, be devoted to prayer. Is your spouse going to change? Pray. Are your children going to come back to the Lord? Pray. Are you going to get a job? Pray. You want to see crime and disorderly conduct in our city and country change? Pray. Be devoted in prayer. One way to do that that's encouraging is have a simple notebook. Write down the thing you're praying for. Come to that notebook every time you go to prayer. And when God answers that prayer, take a highlighter and highlight that prayer request. And pretty soon your journal is going to look like a rainbow. Going on, 10th command, verse 13a. It says, contributing to the needs of the saints, sharing with God's people who are in need. This sharing word, contributing word, comes from the Greek word for fellowship, koinoneo. Koinoneo means the mutual dependence upon each other, the partnering together in a cause or a belief, the sharing, two-way street of sharing. God says we are to partner fellowship with his people that we know of in our church that have needs. That's one way to overcome evil with good. I have seen churches, I hope not this church, that are better at casting blame than they are at casting blessing. God has called us to cast blessing on those who are in need, not blame. Get a job. 
you should have stayed in school. It's too bad you had such a lousy upbringing. You just want a handout. To be sure, some people are unscrupulous. Some people are lazy. Some people tell you a fabricated story to get some money from you. I get that. But we are to share with God's people who are in need. If you hear a need in your brother or in your sister's life at church, your hand should be going for your wallet. Let me help. I can't do it all, but I'll help. That happened to us shortly after we arrived here. We had an unexpected, an unexpected medical expense. And I shared it as a prayer request among the leaders of our church. And after the amen, one of the pastors of our church slipped me a $50 bill. I wasn't asking for it, but he believed and obeyed this command to share with God's people who are in need. You could pray about that. Even before you walk off the campus this morning, you could pray, Lord, show me, let me, let me become aware of someone who gathered for worship at 8 o'clock who has a need, a legitimate need. Let me learn about it. And let me go for my wallet and assist. That's how evil is overcome by good. And the family of God is not to be casting blame. The family of God is to be casting blessing. We have a benevolence fund. The first Lord's Day of the month, so... Next week, by the way, we're going to be together with the 11 a.m. service next Sunday because we're going to have baptisms and communion. So next Lord's Day, come at 11, not 8, and the whole church will be together for a celebration of obedience in baptism. But we have a benevolent offering on the first Sunday of the month where people give beyond what they give to the general ministries of the church to help people in need. I commend that for your consideration. The 11th command in verse 13b, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, practicing hospitality. The Greek word behind the English hospitality is this, pursuing the love of strangers. Pursuing the love of strangers. That's hospitality. Back in the New Testament times, travel was dangerous, but today, life is lonely. Back then, travel was dangerous. Hotels were evil places of wickedness, too expensive for the average person, and you could be robbed while you were sleeping. Back when the New Testament was written, traveling was dangerous. And so the love of strangers was very important the way for the church to overcome evil with good. Today, it is dangerous in NASA. I don't have to tell you that. I do not have to tell you that. But we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ we have not yet met. That's a command. What would happen next Sunday at 11 when you come to join with the whole church and we, we check who the visitors are at 11 usually and a hand went up and there were a person your age, stage of life, and after that service, you wandered over and said, you going anywhere for lunch? Take you to Carl's. Take you to the fish fry. 
I've had families, churches I've pastored where the wife puts extra meat in the oven with the expressed purpose when she gets to church with her husband, they ask somebody to their home for lunch. Don't have to have a fancy home to do that. Love strangers. Command 12. Bless and don't curse those who persecute you. Well, that's a tough one. That's a supernatural one, actually. How in the world can I bless someone who persecutes me? How in the world? That's against everything in my fiber, but it's in accord with the Holy Spirit. Bless and do not curse those who persecute us. Treat enemies as if they are friends. Jesus did in his trials. Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus Christ still wants to love enemies through us. We now are his hands. We now are his feet. We now are his heart. We now are his mind. Jesus Christ loved his enemies while on earth, and he wants us as his followers to love our enemies. Sometimes I'm asked, what about the Psalms, Pastor Rob, that pray God's judgment on enemies? Yeah, that's an Old Testament concept. Because what was at stake when Israel's enemies were trying to exterminate them was the continuance of Messiah's human line. That's what was on the line. And so it was appropriate for the psalmist of the Old Testament to pray God's judgment, God's destruction on the enemies of the Jews. That's no longer the case. Jesus taught us, pray for those who persecute you. And he showed us that example in his trials on the cross. If you and I are going to pray for the person who persecutes us and gives us a rough time at work, it's going to take spirit-controlled transformation. If we're going to pray for that person in our family who hates us because we're a believer in Jesus, we are going to have to let the Spirit of God love us and bless those people. And you know what the best way, I think, to start trying to turn your attitude around from cursing to blessing for someone who's your enemy? Pray for them. It's impossible for us to pray for someone who is our enemy and hate them. Impossible. Pray for them. It's impossible for us to curse someone who's against us if we're praying for their salvation. Two ideas don't live together. Prayer and cursing don't live together. Bless and do not curse those who persecute us. The 13th, we're working our way through. The 13th of the 15 commandments is in verse 15. See it? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's a man in the first church I pastored who has come down with Alzheimer's at a very young age. His wife can't care for him safely at home anymore, and so they put him into an Alzheimer's unit in a hospital. He's locked down for his own safety. He can't go from the hospital, he would forget where he was. This man grew up in the town that I pastored in, which was 4,000 people. That is not a big place. 4,000 people. People knew this man from minor sports, from high school, from community involvement. And do you know what? I asked how many people come to visit him in the hospital. 
one. All his friends don't know how to handle weeping with those who weep. They laughed with him when he laughed, when he was healthy, but they did not know, they do not know how to weep with him when he's weeping. And so we are commanded to resonate with people. We are commanded to be on the same wavelength. We are commanded to try to feel what they're feeling in our hearts. We are to resonate with people. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to weep with those who weep. We are to rejoice as much with the person at the graduation party as much as we weep with the person at the funeral home. We are not to be fair-weather friends. We are to be stick with you through anything, friends. You're going to weep, I'm going to weep with you. You're going to laugh, I'm going to laugh with you. So important. It's how we overcome evil with good. You know how you resonate with people? You stop talking and you listen. I am never learning anything when I'm talking. But when I'm listening, I'm learning. You need to go to that person who's laughing or go to that person who's weeping. You need to look into the whites of their eyes and you need to listen. What they're saying, what they're not saying, what they're needing, what they're fearing. Resonate with people. It takes silent presence. When you burst into a person's company, you don't have to talk their ear off. Listen. Then you can laugh with those who laugh and you can weep with those who weep. The 14th commandment is in the first part of verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another or live in harmony with one another. The Greek word here has to do with thinking, not living. So this is not a command to get into a commune, sell everything you have and live together out of tents. It's not that. It is to say, live together in harmony in your thoughts. How you feel about the person across the church sanctuary. Live in harmony with each other in Sunday school. Live in harmony with each other. The 15th and last commandment is, do not be proud, do not be above anyone, do not be conceited, or the text says it this way, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. You want to turn someone off in your family? Put yourself forward as being more important than them. You want to turn off your relatives? Act conceited and above them. And those turn-off ways of living are turn-off in the spiritual family of the church. Don't be proud. Don't think yourself above anyone else. Don't be conceited. This is how we overcome evil with good. So let me just say, let me review. As I review these commands that are going to help us overcome evil with good, that are not only going to have us watch the alligator, but the alligator is watching us. If we will keep these, I want you to find one, as I read, one command. We're to obey all of them, but I want you to identify just one of the 15, as I read them, and ask God to help you to obey it. Would it be have sincere love? Would it be hate evil? 
Would it be cling to what is good? Would it be devoted to one another in brotherly love? Or would it be honoring one another above ourselves? You pick one. Or would it be serving the Lord with zeal and fervor? Or would it be being joyful in hope or being patient in affliction or being faithful in prayer? Pick one and ask God to help you to start obeying it. Would it be sharing with God's people who are in need? Would it be loving strangers? Would it be blessing and not cursing those who persecute us? Would it be resonating with people? Would it be living in harmony with one another? Would it be not being proud or above anyone or conceited? Let's put the rubber to the road. Let's live in light of these commands. There's a lot of evil to overcome. And God says, obey these things and you'll be on your way to cooperating with me to overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the practicality of your word. We thank you that we can understand it because we have the spirit of God living within us. We thank you that we can begin with at least one command and put it into action. And Lord, we would ask that you be well pleased in our obedience. For we pray this in Jesus Christ's precious name, and for his sake and God's children said, Amen.